The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. Revelation chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Um, And in this passage, we will read this verse in just a minute, but in this passage, it says this, By your blood, you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And we are part of that. We have been ransomed by the blood. We who live here in Somerset to the uttermost parts of the world. That's us. Like the gospel originated in Israel and it comes from there and goes throughout the world and we are the uttermost. When we think of the Great Commission, usually we think we are the center. Oh, imagine that, people thinking they're the center of the universe. Here we are, we usually think we're the center and it goes out from us, but no, we are the uttermost. We are these nations that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and God has given us as the bridge a great opportunity to come alongside him and see this scripture fulfilled because we have endeavored in this next year to come alongside and pick up the church plant that the lead team uh, of St. Croix, we had started a, a church plant with Alberto and Ilgamelo, and for four years they labored and worked and it didn't quite get the traction it wanted and, and so the churches here uh, and our lead team, so that's our sister churches. They're on the poster in the back wall as you're in the gathering space. You'll see all the different churches. We're part of Converge. We're a Baptist churches. We partnered together to plant churches. So we started this endeavor with Ilga and Alberto, and for four years they labored and worked, and it didn't get as much traction as we had hoped. And as a lead team, we said, you know, we're going to pray about shifting Well, God has given a great opportunity. He has blessed for finances to be available for one more year. So we as the bridge, we brought Alberto on, and we said for a year, we want to invest in it. We don't want to just let it go. And so for the next year, we are going to be pressing in to take the gospel to all nations and tribes and tongues, but specifically here in our region. So it's going to be not just a a Latino church plant, that's what he was doing, it's going to transition, it'll be a Latino Anglo church plant because we're coming alongside, we're putting our energy, we're coming to help. Uh, And this is what it should be. It should be a little taste of heaven. There should be a multicultural experience, we believe, happening here. And we think God's going to bless it. And so next week on the 21st, they're going to be with us. This is when we have uh, a time of of fellowship and baptisms planned. But we're going to do a joint service as well. So they're going to be with us. And we're going to have a joint service. And we're going to fellowship. And we're getting to hear the heart of uh, Ilga and Alberto and their heart for planting another gospel light in, the, in our area. And we're asking you, the bridge, to be praying how God may use you. Some of you I've talked to personally already, but for some of you, you're like, okay, this is all new. Like, okay, what are we doing? Well, you'll get to hear more about it next week. 
And we're hoping that God, if he so chooses to stir you, that you will come alongside and be a part of that church plan, that you'll help out and reach out and you'll help take the gospel to those around us. Where that church will ultimately be planted, we haven't got all that figured out yet, but right now they're gathering and they have a small fellowship and they're continuing to press forward with the gospel and Jesus is blessing it. And we think this is what God has for us as the bridge as well, is to come alongside and put our energy and our gifts behind us and say, yes, Lord, we want to see people reached with the gospel. And so uh, next week you will see that. And so we see the fulfillment of that in Revelation 5 where they're worshiping the Lamb, saying that he has ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Revelation 5. So if you would open with me. And I realized I don't have my glasses today. This will be fun. All right. I can read my handwriting. I don't know if I can read the Bible. I'll read the screen. That's what I'll do. <laughs> no. Of course, the ladies are like, you want my glasses? <laughs> Here, put these on. That'll look fun. Yeah. Revelation chapter 5. Uh, I'll read. You can follow along with me. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth 
and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this scene that you've given to us. That we can get a glimpse of the majesty of the Lamb in heaven being praised, receiving worship. Teach us, Holy Spirit, as we go through this passage. Open our minds to understanding. Help us to take what we read here and apply it to our walk, to our relationship with you, Lord Jesus. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. Teach us, Lord, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In verse one, we read, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So in chapter four, the focus was on the throne. If you'll remember, it was the throne of God and the one sitting on the throne and the rainbow around the throne. It had an emerald sheen to it and the four living creatures and the thunder and the lightning and the, and the murmuring, the, the praising of God coming out from there and the 24 elders around it. And we just saw this magnificent scene. And John's attention was there and on the creator of all things. Well, now his attention shifts because there's something in this this one who sits on the throne's hand. John sees the scroll that appears to be covered in writing, but the contents are hidden because it has been sealed. Now, there are many different ideas as to what is written on this scroll, and I'll share a few of those with you. But honestly, we don't know what is truly on that scroll, but there are some good thoughts about it. One is that it's the Old and New Testament together. It's the fullness of God's promises from old through the new, and we have the full, fullness of God's revelation to us in the Bible. This, this is what some think is on that scroll. Others would say that it's prophecies of God's plan concerning man. So it's the prophecies of God from the Old Testament, how he's made covenant and made prophetic utterances of Messiah to come and different things that would be fulfilled, that have been fulfilled, and prophecies to come that have yet to be fulfilled concerning God and his relationship to mankind. Others would say it's prophecies of judgment. This makes pretty good sense because we are in the book of Revelation. He's about to un undo the scroll, break the seals, and it's the judgments we're about to read about. That This is what's written uh, on the scroll. Some have said it's the deed to planet Earth. It's the deed that he owns everything. He is 
over it all, and only God has authority, and he is saying, who's worthy to take the deed? No one but God alone can take the deed uh, to, to earth. If we think about it, I would say best is just to see the scroll as a statement of God's will. It's a statement of his will that settles the affairs of the universe. It's, it's what God has ordained. I, this is what's on the scroll. It's his will, what God would have there for the universe. It's sealed with seven seals. We see that in this passage, and it brings up a remembrance of a Roman uh, last will and testament. When the Roman emperors passed away, uh, they would write down their will, and it would be rolled up, and it would be sealed seven times. Uh, And so it has kind of that uh, picture for us of, of this sealed will of God, and you had to be able to take it and open it. You had to be the right person to, un, uh, to open that uh, will and testament. We'll hear who is worthy to take this scroll. Now, we also have to remember that we're in apocalyptic literature. So that means there's, it's a little bit different. So apocalyptic literature can have different symbols and, and meanings behind numbers and things like this. So as we're looking at this, we see that there's something significant here. There's, it's seven seals. It's sealed perfectly by the Holy Spirit. It has been sealed by God. The, the writings of God, sealed by God, perfectly. The scroll is sealed much like you and I are sealed when we come to know Jesus as our Savior. Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed by the Spirit of God when you believed. When faith was born in you and you believed on the gospel and you came to Christ, he sealed you with the Spirit. That's significant. Because in a moment we're going to read that only the Lamb is worthy to take that scroll. The Lamb is the only one worthy to take your life, to have your life, to hold your life, to preserve your life. He has sealed you. You belong to Him. And so we see this, verses 2 through 4, we read this. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So there's this strong angel that appears. And we don't know who this angel is, uh, but we can tell that John looks at this guy and says, This is a strong, mighty angel. Compared to other angels and creatures around the throne, he looks at this guy and says, here is a strong angel. And he has this proclamation. And it's really a a, a challenge to all of creation, to all of the universe. He says, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals, to, to open it? It reminds me uh, when I was little watching uh, the Disney movie Sword in the Stone. Any of you guys watch that? And there was that, you know, uh, that scene where, 
Wart, who's also King Arthur, is like, Wart, where's the sword? Where's Kay's sword? And he's running around, oh, I'll get one, I'll get one. And they're in town. And so he just runs over and he sees this sword sticking in an anvil, you know, and he's just like, oh, I gotta have a sword. And he just grabs it and as he's pulling it up, you know, the lights, oh, and the whole deal. And he pulls out this, who is worthy? The, the angel's saying, who's worthy? Who can come and take this? And it's a proclamation of challenge, and it's also a proclamation of urgency. He's saying the one who sits on the throne has the scroll. It is ready to be read, delivered. Who can come and take it? Who can open it? So the angel is proclaiming this, and they're all looking around, and it becomes very obvious, very quickly, that no one is worthy to take this scroll, to open it. This, this scroll is sealed. As I was just reading through, now this is totally something that I was putting together now, so it, it could be a little off. You can challenge me on it if you want. Keith, that, that's, a, that's a thumbs up for you to challenge me. Um, Daniel chapter 8, verses 25 and 26. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind, he shall become great. This is talking of the Antichrist. This is the prophecy given to Daniel. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. So Daniel gets this vision, and he's told, seal it up. It's not for now. Fast forward to Revelation. Who is ready to take and unseal the vision? Now, it, it may not be that, but it really seems to go together here that Daniel, seeing what is to come, and God says, it's not for now, it's for later. Seal it up. And Daniel is thinking about these things, the destruction, the persecution, the spiritual war that is to come. In verse 27, this is Daniel's response to what he sees. He says, and I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So Daniel sees the end of days, and he's told not to share it with us. Don't tell them. Seal it up. But now here is one who is ready to undo the scroll to open the seals and show us more of what is to come, what the end will be. Scripture says that knowledge will increase. I believe the Lord is bringing more understanding to the end of days for us, that we will see how it all unfurls. So here we see that no one's worthy to take this scroll. And look at John's response. It says that he weeps. He just weeps. There's a revelation of God for man, for everyone, and we don't get it. Like it's sealed up. He's, he's ready to give this to us. and saying, who can take it and who can proclaim what is written on this scroll? And John's like, we want this but we can't receive it. We're not worthy to open it. We're not worthy to receive it. And he just breaks down weeping. 
He wants to know God so bad and what God would proclaim and what God would say that he was, he's weeping because there's no one who can tell us what this scroll says. Well, verses 5 through 7, this scene turns a little bit for us, and it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So one of the elders comes up and he tells him not to weep anymore. John, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He uses this, this title that Jesus has, the lion of Judah. And so we see this in Genesis 49 Verses 9 and 10, it says, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. We see in Isaiah 31, verse 4, another, uh, another um, reference to this. It says, For thus the Lord said to me, As a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. And we also see this uh, title of the lion, the tribe of Judah, in Hosea chapter 11, verse 10, and they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. And so Christ has fulfilled this in his first coming. He has come. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who has is, who is conquered, who has come, and he is able to take the scroll he is of the root of David, as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. It says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And so the root of David, it's not talking about where David comes from, but who comes out of David. And he is of the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who comes from the line of David. He's fully connected to David. We see that in the Gospels as well. Uh, I have a slide for you, and you can't read it because it's so small. Go online. It will be there. But what you see is the house of David, and you have through his mother, and you have through his father. And so you go through uh, the, the generations on each side from Joseph and Mary. So on the left in the Gospel of Matthew, you have his genealogy. And in the Gospel of Luke, you have his genealogy. And it takes you to Joseph and Mary. He's fully connected on both sides to the household of David. Here is the Lion of Judah, the one who is the root of David. As God said, it has been done. That's the theme in Scripture. 
as God says, it is done. In Genesis, when he speaks, it is so. When he gives us promises, they are fulfilled, just as he says. And so the elder tells John, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who is the root of David, he can take the scroll. And so then John looks, and you expect to see a lion, wouldn't you? You like, the lion of Judah, and you look over, and it's not a lion, but a lamb. He sees a lamb standing there. And he's presented as gentle. That, that word for lamb is that of a young lamb. Um, so Christ spoke this way about himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here, the lion is also the lamb who is gentle towards us who is humble in heart, lowly in heart, and he brings us rest for our souls. But he is not just a gentle lamb. He is powerful. How do we know that he's powerful? Because he's standing, even though it is as if he has been slain. Here he is with the marks of being sacrificed, the one that was slain, yet he lives. And then this writing, the way it is written, it is that he has been sacrificed, but the sacrifice continues on. The action continues on. It's in the perfect. Where's my wife? Right? Perfect. That's the right one. The, the action, it keeps moving. Okay. <laughs> I have to check my, my grammar nerd. <laughs> it's written in such a way that the sacrifice is always standing before God, ready to be applied, to be given to any who would come. Remember we said last week, we were talking about the, the throne room, that the, the rainbow is circling the throne in its green sheen, that emerald sheen. And we were talking about the promises of God. It's as if he just spoke the promise. He doesn't forget. Now we forget, right? Like, have you had those times where someone says, hey, you remember that time you, you promised that we would go? Like our kids are good at reminding us these kind of things. You know, you told us that we were going to go and get ice cream. Do you remember? And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I forgot. Yeah, let's go do that. You know, like God doesn't forget. It's as if he just spoke the promise. He remembers it. It hasn't faded. The sacrifice of the lamb has not faded. It is as if he has just given the sacrifice. Here is one who has the marks of the one who has been slain as if it was just recently standing before the one who's seated on the throne. And, and I love the way this one uh, commentary puts it. It says it this way. This is very remarkable. So important is the sacrificial offering of Christ and the light of God that he is still represented as being in the very act of pouring out his blood for the offenses of man. This gives great advantage to faith. When any soul comes to the throne of grace, he finds a sacrifice there provided for him to offer to God. Thus, 
all succeeding generations find they have the continual sacrifice ready and the shed blood to offer. What good news that it is there, ever there, ready for you and your children and your children's children. The sacrifice is ready for them to be applied to their life. If they come, it is as if he has just given it for them. It is standing before the Father. This is great news. What confidence we have. The Lamb standing before the one who sits on the throne, who has, looks as if he is slain, but yet he lives offering sacrifice for those who would come, able to take the scroll, gentle and lowly, yet powerful. The Lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. It says the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, eyes in Scripture, uh, when you read passages about the eyes of God, it suggests wisdom and knowledge. It also uh, suggests omniscience, like in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. For whoever has despised the day of small things will rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. It's this omniscience and the horns. They are a picture of his power, perfect power over all things. So the Lamb of God has all wisdom and knowledge and power, and he is joined with the Spirit. He has the, the eyes, which is the seven spirits of God. He is joined with the Spirit as having the Spirit of Christ. And we're reading about this throne room, and we see the Holy Spirit there. We see the one seated on the throne, the Father. We see the Lamb, the Son. And it makes me think of Romans 8, verse 9. Says you, however, this is Paul writing, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now it should, it could say in another translation, controlled by the spirit, in the spirit, the Holy Spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So you have in the spirit, Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, and the spirit of Christ all spoken in this one verse by Paul. What a great mystery. Pastor, can you explain to me just, you know, I got to go in just a second or two, but I was really curious. Can you explain to me the Trinity? How does that work? Well, it's a mystery. It's really hard to just explain it, but we see it here. Oh, hero Israel, the Lord our God, our Lord is one. He is one. He's not three different gods. He is one God. Same in essence and majesty and glory and power. And yet the Son and the Father and the Spirit are different, have different roles and different things that they do, but yet are in perfect unity and harmony. We see the Spirit of Christ here with the Lamb. And all of the creatures... And all of the created universe is searched and none can take the scroll, only this one, only this one, the Lamb, who is himself creator. John 1.3 says this, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. He 
the Lamb who is creator can take the scroll. And he himself, the Lord of, of all through the cross, Acts 10, 36, it says this, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He, through the cross, is Lord of all. Only he can dictate the destiny of creation. Doesn't that sound right? The creator, the one who's made all things by him, through him, for him, holds together in him. He is the one who dictates what happens with his creation. He is the one who has authority. He is the one who is worthy. That just sounds right. No one can take that scroll except him. Verses 8 through 10. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So when Jesus takes the scroll, the response in heaven is worship. When the one who is worthy takes the scroll, they worship. Each that falls down has an instrument. And I think this is kind of where people get this idea like, oh, heaven, you get to sit on the cloud and you have a little harp. You know, you sl- maybe, well, I was going to say you see that in cartoons, but they don't have Saturday cartoons anymore. Used to be that way in the Looney Tunes and that, you know, Tom and Jerry you end up with a harp on a cloud. But they have musical instruments. It makes me think of what we do. Why do we have all of this? Like, why do we, like, does this matter? I mean, why do we have all the instruments and that? Well, we, in a sense, we are mirroring what happens in heaven. This is a shadow. This is a shadow of what happens. They, they pull out instruments and they praise him with their voices and they praise him with, with music. They make music and they praise God. So we here on earth, we, we pull out our instruments and we raise our voices and we make music and we praise God. But I want us to notice that it's not the music, it's not the fact that they have harps. John sees it, he says they pull these out, they have these stringed instruments that they're playing. But it's the words that are spoken by the saints and by the angels. That's what matters here. That's what's recorded here. We don't get the tune, we don't get the melody, we don't know if it's in 4-4, four, 3-4, four, four, whatever. Like, we get the words. That's what's important when we sing. We're putting, up here, we're putting words in the mouths of the saints. That's you who have received Christ. We're saying, let us proclaim these truths of God together. It's important. The words we sing need to be meditated on. They need to be saturated with Scripture. We need to be thinking about what we're singing. They need to be rich and they need to be true. The words in Scripture may be poetic at times, but they are never trite and they are never untrue. So neither should our music. The words we sing 
need to be in spirit and in truth. The elders and the, saint, uh, the saints, the elders there, and the angels, they fall down and they, they worship. And they have many prayers that are being offered as well. Now, the elders are presenting the prayers. They are not praying the prayers. They're presenting the prayers. There's this thought that, oh, if you lose your car keys, what was, it was uh, St. Anthony or something, is that correct? Who was it that, do you remember? When we were living overseas, we lost our car keys one time and we were telling our friend and they're like, oh, you need to pray to St. So-and-so, he helps you find stuff. You know, it's just like, uh, okay, no, no. Here, the elders have the golden bowls of the prayers and they're presenting the prayers. They're not praying the prayers on our behalf. They're presenting the prayers. They're taking your prayers, my prayers. They're taking the prayers of God's people saying, you alone are worthy to receive these. You're the one in which we trust. You're the one whom we look to for the answer. We, they are not the mediators, but they are taking the prayers, these incense, before the throne as another offering of worship. So they're singing and they're playing music and they're bringing the prayers forward. But there's only one who mediates for us. 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So the lamb who is worthy to take the scroll is the lamb who is worthy to receive these prayers is the lamb who intercedes with, for us with the one who sits on the throne. In a sense, our heart cry and our prayers is your kingdom come. It doesn't matter what you're praying. It could be little in your life. You could say, God, can you work in this situation, in this circumstance? It could be, could you work in our church or in our community? It could be, could you work in our nation or in this world? What we are saying when we ask God to move, we ask him to work and, and to show himself and to bring a result through prayer, we're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done, Matthew 6.10. Just as it is in heaven. Come, Lord, move here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Our prayers on a broader scale are that. So, the worship in heaven, it's focused on the Lamb and the work of redemption. So, let's look at what they say. They, they honor him in song and they say, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And he says, for you were slain. So it honors the price that was paid. With his own body, with his own blood, he was slain. That's the price for redemption. It honors the work, which is you redeemed us. Christ was slain. That was the price. The redemption was his work of man. The song honors the destination. He redeemed us to God, to be once in relationship again, to come back, to be able to be in the throne room, to see God, to be with God. He's given us this destination, his presence, his relationship restored with us. The song honors the payment that was made by his blood. It honors the scope every tribe and tongue and people and nation. No one's forgotten. No one's left out. All can come. 
all can receive, all can be made new. And the result, it honors the result that he has made us kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. So that goes into the, as we talked a couple weeks back, into the millennial reign. When Jesus returns, the saints will come with him and we will reign with him on the earth for a thousand years. It's, it's talking about the results of redemption there as well. So they, they're praising him for what he has done, the price that was paid, the work that was done, the destination in which we will go, the payment in which he has given, the scope, every tribe, nation, and tongue, and the result. Now, I want to point out this. The payment was his blood, and his body was broken. That was the price that was paid. There are people today teaching that we don't need a cross to be saved. There's some that remove the offense of the cross altogether. They say, Jesus was the example. He was the son of God. He, he did these great things. But the cross happened because people were sinful and they hated Jesus and they killed him. And so, but it wasn't the cross that saves. And they removed the cross because they feel like it's an offense. Well, they've removed the gospel. They removed the price. He was broken for us. His body broken. His blood shed. Well, there are some who say, well, we need the cross, but we don't need the blood. There's some that says it's his death, not his blood, it's his death. But we're reading here, it is the blood of Jesus. It is by his blood that we are cleansed. It is by his blood we are made new. It is by his blood we have atonement. So if you have no cross, you have no foundation. If you have no blood, you have no foundation. You have no atonement, you have no redemption. So when you hear these things in our culture, people trying to make it easier for people to, I just want to, you know, get a hearing and let them come to Jesus. I just want to remove these offenses. No, they're removing the very thing that Christ did that would bring them new life. And they've put them on a foundation of sand. So we need to see this song as preaching what Christ has done. For us. Verses 11 and 12, it says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads. Maybe your translation says 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So we see here in these couple of verses, countless numbers of angels. John can't count them. He says 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands and thousands. He's just like all of heaven of the angels show up and they just start praying. And I can't count them all. It's just this huge multitude. And they're in worship. And they're singing the song of the redeemed. And yet they've never experienced redemption. Isn't that something? They look at what the Lamb has done. Angels are not redeemed by the blood of Christ. Angels don't find salvation in Jesus. They're not created in his image. They're not reconciled. They've never experienced it, and yet they praise God with the saints all the same. Look at 1 Peter 1-2. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 
So he's saying, Peter's saying, you've heard the gospel and, you, and Christ redeems and you've been restored, you brought near, and angels long to look into that, to understand that. We have a unique relationship with God that they don't have. And also in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, so that through the church, that's you and I, through us, the bride of Jesus, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. To angels and rulers and authorities in heavenly places, they look in and we show the manifold wisdom of God to them. So angels see the work of God in redemption, and they praise the Lamb for His power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. They don't have to experience to praise Him for it. They praise Him because it is right. He is God. He has worked. He has done this beautiful thing in which they, they long to understand it, and they look at the bride of Christ and say, this is something different and unique and beautiful, and they praise God for what he has done. But it doesn't stop there. So you have the elders and the creatures praising and singing. All the angels show up. They start praising and singing in verses 13 and 14. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. So John points out that it's not just heaven, but creation itself, the fullness of creation. They join in worship. It's, a, it's, a, it's this building crescendo of worship to the Lamb and His work in redemption. It's like, it, I can't even imagine that scene. Like, okay, I, I put myself in the heavenly throne room and I see the creatures and I see the elders and, and I see the angels. I think like, this is like an awesome concert, right? Like everyone's there just praising God and they're just, but it doesn't stop there. And then all of creation joins in everything. And John's looking around and he's like, everything goes back to the Psalms that has breath, praise the Lord. Everything praises him. It just comes in. It's this huge crescendo of worship. So if you've ever doubted the deity of Jesus, <laughs> this, is, this is what we're seeing. This is worship. If you've ever doubted, this scene shows all creation worshiping the Son as God with God. If Jesus is not God, this is the height of blasphemy. This is the height of idolatry. This is exactly what Satan wanted. When you see that he rebelled in the heavens and he wanted to be like the Most High, he wanted all of creation to sing like this to him. He wanted this scene. Only the Lamb is worthy of this. Only God is worthy of this. And so he is God. He receives full worship of all creation. He is the creator. It is right. So I want us to end this week where we ended last week, praising God in worship. Last week we ended in chapter 4, praising him, 
because he is the God of creation. And we saw that scene in heaven and we sang the throne room song and we praised him. This week we see that he is the Lord of redemption. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Lamb who was slain and yet lives. He is the one who has brought us near. He is the one who will open the scroll in a couple of weeks and we start seeing the judgments poured out. They worship. So what I'd like us to do is we're going to move and usually I end my sermon with prayer, but we're going to have a a reading together and prayer. And I pray that the words of heaven will be the words of your heart. The meditation that has come out spoken in the revelation will be that which drives your worship as we get to our next song. So if you would please stand. Worship team, would you please come up? We're going to have a responsive reading of just the worship of heaven together. Starting in Revelation chapter 5, read with me. And may this, let this be in your heart and in your mind. Let it just move throughout you and bring it uh, as an offering when, you, when we get to singing. Starting here in verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith.